begin by saying how thankful we are to our Creator for life and for the privilege to be together this evening. Thankful for our Savior and the blood that He shed upon the cross that brings us all together. We're a different bunch of people from different walks of life and different experiences, but we all come together in a common faith and in a common love. And it's uh, so refreshing to be you know, two to three hundred miles away from home and still feel like you're at home among God's people. And it's a great blessing. And, you know, a lot of people don't experience that. I think that's something that maybe we take for granted whenever I visit with people, maybe at work or places, and talk about going to all of these different places and people that I know there, and I just go and stay in people's homes. They just kind of look at me like, well, really, you do that? And and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't experience that. They live in their own little town, in their own little world, in their own little community, and really don't, uh, you know, be, are able to experience the, the, the fellowship and the kindredness that comes along with being a Christian. And I'm, I'm thankful for that, and I'm appreciative to the brethren here for this opportunity and for everyone that's here to uh, participate in this meeting. So far this week, we've talked about the world, how that the world is an evil, polluted, corrupt place, that Satan is a liar, he's a murderer, and he's a predatory beast. We've talked about how that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We've talked about how to um, make good decisions, how that we understand that our decisions are uh, guided by our values, and we understood this last evening about the the perils of being open-minded. This evening, we want to look for a little while at a fear that the Apostle Paul had concerning a group of people that he loved and was they were very dear to him, and that was the, the Corinthian church. The Apostle Paul had poured his heart and soul into that group of people, and he had a fatherly love towards them. And whenever Paul wrote to them in his second epistle, in chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, he wrote about a fear that he had. The apostle says, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ." The apostle had a concern for the Corinthians, and that concern was that they would be beguiled. That he was afraid that someone would come in in the next verse and preach to them another Jesus, preach to them to another gospel, or they might receive another spirit and, and be deceived into bearing and taking all of that in. And so he had a concern and he voiced that concern. And I, you know, as a parent, that's one of my greatest fears is that one of my children would be deceived by Satan. And I'm sure that's the concern that every parent has, that when you're trying to raise godly children, you have a fear that Satan will deceive them. And so this evening what we want to look at is how Eve was beguiled by Satan. And I want us to understand that what we're going to study tonight in the case of Adam and Eve in the very first book of the Bible, chapter number 3, we're going to look at that story, we're going to look at that account, and a lot of times we look at that as a Bible story. And, you know, we learn a few things from it. But what I want us to understand that what we're going to read about tonight and study is a prototype of the way that Satan works today. The same way that he worked with Eve in the Garden of Eden is the same way that he works with you and he works with me. 
The only difference is the fruit has changed. But so far as his process, so far as his craftiness, so far as his cunningness is concerned, whenever we look at the account of Satan as he beguiles Eve this evening, I want us to think of our own lives and maybe times when we've been deceived or be perceptive of deceptions that might be around us so that we can be wise to Satan's devices and not allow ourselves to be beguiled the way that Eve was. Whenever we look at the word beguile, it means to seduce wholly, to beguile or to deceive. Now that may not clear up a whole lot of things. So let's look at the word seduce. The word seduce means to attract someone to a belief or into a course of action that is inadvisable or foolhardy. So in other words, to seduce someone is to cause them to go off into some belief, some type of action, some type of lifestyle that this definition says is inadvisable or foolhardy, but for our purposes tonight, we're going to say an action or a belief that's not true and in accordance with God's Word. And we need to understand again that Satan is a liar. And that's what he tries to do every day with all of us. And that's one of the things that in this week that I want to emphasize to these young people, but emphasize to all of us, is that there are deceptive messages all around us. There are deceptive messages all around us. And if we are not keen to those messages, and if we are not sound in our mind and in our thinking and very careful in our living, what we're going to see happen tonight can happen to you and it can happen to me. Whenever we look at the word deceive or seduce, I want us to understand that it's not the same thing as lying. I can stand before you tonight and say, hey, I'm a millionaire. You give me all your money, I'll go invest it, we'll all be rich. I don't see any of you reaching for your wallets. <laughs> I told you a big lie, but I didn't deceive you. you did, I didn't deceive you because you didn't act on it. I can lie to you all day long and you not be deceived. You're deceived whenever I lie to you and I convince you and I manipulate you to act upon that lie. And that's important for us to understand. We can see big lies. We're going to see a big lie tonight in the account that we're going to read. But what makes Satan so crafty is not that he's a good liar, he's a cunning deceiver. He can lie to you, he can lie to me, and convince us of that lie and cause us to act upon it. And so that's why that it's very important that we understand the way that He works and we understand the process of deception. We studied with the young people this morning the process of sin and temptation. How that you can you can look at some specific steps that lead up to sin. And understanding those steps, maybe we can come up with a plan that will help us to plan not to sin. Well, whenever we understand the way that Satan works in his deception, it can help us to come up with a plan not to be deceived. In Genesis 3, verse number 13, The Lord God said unto the woman, What is it that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So Eve right here states specifically and in no uncertain terms, The serpent beguiled me. The serpent deceived me. This is in verse number 13. 
And what we want to do is go back and look at the beginning of this chapter and go through the account and see if we can educate ourselves in how Satan deceived Eve and arm ourselves and equip ourselves with a ready mind so that we can not fall prey to the same seductions and deceptions in our life and to teach our young kids the same. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the fruit of every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open, and you'll be as God's, knowing good. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat also. Yeah, one command. How do you blow that? <laughs> I mean, one command. You got all these trees and then there's just this one tree right here and you're just told to eat everything else but don't eat that tree. How do you mess that up? How do you mess that up? That's how cunning Satan is. Unless we think that Eve was just, you know, just some dumb person, let me ask you this. Have you ever sinned? I've sinned. I've been just as dumb. And I'm going to guess you have too. Because I'm going to guess you've sinned too. See, we read this story and we just think, how could they have blown that? Well, we can answer that because we blow it every day a lot of times. (laughs) falling into deceptions and things that we know are not right. Well, we want to see exactly how something that seemingly is so simple... It's simple. Just get a book, read the book, do what the book says. Right? It's so simple, isn't it? Then why do we blow it and why do so many people blow it? Well, the very first thing we need to understand is that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. The word subtle there means cunning and crafty. Cunning and crafty. Satan is sly. Satan is cunning. He's crafty. He knows what buttons to push on you. He knows what buttons to push on me, and he knew what buttons to push on Eve. So the first thing that we want to understand is that whenever we're dealing with Satan, we're not dealing with a dummy. We're dealing with someone that is very crafty, someone that is very cunning, someone who studies you and knows you and studies me and knows me and knows how to approach us with deceptions. And so since we're dealing with a foe that is cunning and crafty, we've got to be cunning and crafty also. You know, we've been studying in the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs talks about a prudent man, how that we should be prudent. We've read some verses this week about being prudent. That word prudent in the Bible, in Proverbs, is the same Hebrew word that's used here to describe Satan. It's as if to say, Satan's cunning and crafty, you better be cunning and crafty too. Satan is sharp and on top of his game, you better be sharp and on top of your game too. And so we want to be very diligent in our approach to dealing with Satan, understanding how crafty and how cunning that he is. Well, Satan begins the conversation. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. 
Whenever we look at this question and whenever we look at the ensuing discussion, I want us to understand that this discussion is not about a tree. This discussion is not about a tree. This discussion is about God. This discussion is about God. You know, we talked the other day about ungodliness, how that one of the things that we're supposed to say no to in the world is ungodliness, and we're supposed to say no to anything that takes away from our reverence and our piety towards God. And we talked about how that God in our relationship with God is a disciplining influence in our life to keep us within the bounds of truth. And really, if our relationship with God is not very good, truth isn't going to mean a whole lot to us. And so whenever we look at Satan and whenever we look at his, his conversation as it begins here with Eve, I want us to see in this conversation that what Satan is trying to do is feed Eve some ungodliness. What I want to do, Eve, is damage your perception of God because I know if I can damage your perception of God, then that discipline effect that God has in your life to keep you within the parameters of truth, well, if I can do away with that and I can weaken that, then I've got an advantage. Notice that he doesn't just say, you shall eat of every tree of the garden. But he says, hath God said. See, it's not about the tree. It's about God. And so that's one thing that we need to understand about Satan's deception. Is one of the first things that Satan tries to do is to feed us ungodliness and affect our relationship with God. Because as long as I'm close to God and as long as I'm walking in the light of God, I'm going to see truth clearly and I'm going to see his deceptions. But as soon as my relationship with God grows timid and I don't have that closeness with God and I'm not walking in the light, now I'm in a position where Satan can begin to work on me and to deceive me. So one of the keys to not being deceived is to always maintain a living, vital, close, intimate relationship with God and say no to anything that comes into your life and my life that questions the sovereign rule and reign of God in this creation and in our life. Hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now whenever we look at Eve's response here, we see the boundaries of Eve's mind, don't we? We see the boundaries of her mind. God hath said... You don't eat it, you don't touch it, lest you die. And up until this point, she had been living in God's will. She had been living in God's will. So like we talked about last evening concerning open-mindedness and how that our minds need to be girded about with truth, her mind was girded about with truth. Her mind was prepared for the challenge of Satan so that whenever Satan faced her with a deception, she immediately reflects upon and turns to the will of God. And says, yep, that's what God has said. So far, so good. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, 
You ain't going to die. You shall not surely die. He sows his lie. He sows his lie. Now notice that after he sows his lie, that the conversation doesn't stop there. But then he continues on in his explanation in order to give a foundation for Eve to stand on to disobey God. God's not going to disobey, or Eve's not going to disobey God for no good reason. And so here again, we're going to see how that the serpent strikes at the relationship that Eve has with God to try to take away from that closeness, to try to break down the boundaries of her mind in order to get her to take her mind someplace it had never been before. But he says, Ye shall not surely die. For in the day, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods. What's the implication here? Eve, God's holding out on you. Eve, God knows that if you eat this, you're going to be like deity. You're going to know good and evil. You're not going to need God anymore. And so the wheels start turning in Eve's mind. Huh. You know, imagine that you've just trusted someone for so long and you've done everything that they've told you to do and then all of a sudden somebody comes up to you and tells you, you know, you've been doing everything that they've been telling you to do and everything, but guess what? They're just taking advantage of you. You're here in the garden doing all this work for God when all you've got to do is eat this tree and you'll be as God, knowing good and evil. You won't need God anymore. And isn't that the deceptive message in every one of Satan's devices in our life today? You don't need God. You don't need God for this. You don't need God for that. And so he gives this lie. He gives Eve something to stand on now and gives her a perception of God that now causes her to start thinking about disobedience. And what was it that caused her to start thinking about disobedience? The ungodly seed that E or that Satan had sown in her mind. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And then in verse six, and when the woman saw. You know, we talked about decisions the other evening. And we talked about in our decision making how that we assign value to choices. And one of the things that we talked about was value is determined by our perspective. You know what's happened here? Eve's perspective has changed. She had a choice. I can obey God or I can disobey God. And all the while, up until this time, evidently, she valued obedience to God. Because that was the choice that she made. She ate, evidently, of every tree of the garden except that one tree that God said, don't eat it. So she valued obedience to God. 
But what's happened now? Her perspective is changing. She begins to see things just a little bit differently. Let's say that I had a piece of fruit and I set it here on the corner of this table and I told you, if you eat that, it'll kill you. It's poison. It'll kill you. And then you'll look at that and you'll look at it from a certain perspective. You're looking at it from a perspective that if I take that, it will kill me. So whenever I look at it, I, I, I'm timid around it. You know, maybe, maybe one of my kids wants to come up here and touch it. We go get back here. Don't you touch that. That'll kill you. And so we have an approach or we have a perspective towards that. But let's take the same piece of fruit and then let me tell you, you know, if you eat this, you'll become the smartest person in the world. We're not changing the color of the fruit. We're not changing the form of the fruit. We're not changing the fashion of the fruit. It looks exactly the same. But now if you eat it, you'll become the smartest person in the world. Now what do you think about it? Same piece of fruit, different perception in the mind. Different perception in the mind. And because the perception in the mind changes, now... Where once before, I would not value eating that. Now I would value eating it. If you want to be the smartest person in the world, I'm not sure that's a very good blessing. But And so whenever we look at Eve, where she looked at that tree and probably she stood there in fear of that tree. She stood there very timid around that tree. And she just kind of walk around and look at it. Oh man, you know that'll, that, that will that'll bring death. That will cause me to die after Satan gets through talking to her and convinces her that that tree will make you like God, God's holding you back, now whenever she looks at it, you know that looks pretty good for food. You know, that's, that's a real pretty tree. And you know what? If I eat that, it will make me wise. What changed? Did the tree change? Absolutely not. Her perception changed. Why did her perception change? Because Satan deceived her. Because Satan deceived her. And so now that her perception of God has changed, her perception of the tree has changed, where are we heading? 1 John 2 verses 15 and 16. John said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. You know, John wrote that in the late first century. But you know what? What we see is evidence of it thousands of years before in the Garden of Eden. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. It desired to make one wise. And so Eve experienced that in her day. John talked about it in his day. And the same is true in our day. The lust of the flesh, the appetites of the flesh... 
the lust of the eye, things that look at, that look beautiful to us and look appealing to us, desire to make one wise, can really make me into something special and important. You know, whenever we focus on all of those, as John said, the love of the Father is not in us. And that's not God's love for us. That's our love for God. What do you see here? When we become focused on this, it's a sign that our relationship with the Father is hurting. And whenever Eve could look at that tree, and once look at that tree again with horror, knowing that that tree would bring about ruin, now she could look at it because it's good for food, it's pleasant to the eyes, and it's desirable to make one wise. What can we understand in her life? She didn't have the love for God that she had before. She didn't have the love for God that she had before. Because Satan had cheated her into thinking in an ungodly way towards God. You see, the commandment, the lie, was very apparent. God says, don't eat, you'll die. You won't die. I mean, anyone can understand that. But what we see here is the power of ungodliness, as the Apostle Paul talked about. What we see here is the power of not having reverence and respect for God. Also, what we see here are the dangers of an open mind. How'd that open mind work out for Eve? (laughs) You know, as soon as Satan said, you shall not surely die, what should Eve done then? EOD. End of discussion. I've heard enough. I don't need to talk to you anymore. God says this. You're saying this. We're through. We're through. But you know what? She had an open mind. She was interested. Let me hear more. Well, God knows that if you eat it, you're going to become as God's knowing good and evil. And so by her opening up her mind... And by her following through in the discussion that Satan was leading her on, he led her to a place of disobedience. Here's the manifestations of the perils of an open mind. Where there is a stark contrast between the message that God gives me and the message that Satan and the world gives me. And as long as Satan can hold your ear... As long as Satan can hold my ear, he's got a chance. And you know and I know that as soon as Eve heard Satan contradict God, that should have been the end of it right there. But it wasn't. She was interested. And you know, there's a lot of wild ideas out there today about God and about the way that we ought to live and, and and things like that and maybe sometimes our curiosity gets the best of it. So, you know, we just we really want to hear what these people have to say. We need to understand there's danger in that. There's danger in that because the longer you give them your ear, the more opportunity you're giving Satan and I'm giving Satan to sow his seductive message within our minds. 
And so the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. Why did they eat that fruit? Did they eat that fruit because they wanted to disobey God? No. They they ate that fruit because they wanted to be as gods, knowing good and evil. You see, that's what happens a lot of times whenever we're deceived. We lose sight of obedience or disobedience to God. And we put our focus on being popular. Our focus on being famous. Our focus on being rich. Our focus on everything else other than obedience or disobedience to God. And whenever Satan can take our mind focus on things other than obedience and disobedience to God whether it be pleasure, whether it be riches, whether it be fame, whether it be fortune, whether it be popularity, whether it be any of those things, then He has us, and He has us in a position to where we're deceived and we're primed for disobedience. You see, we have to get back to an understanding of obedience to God. And understand that in the bottom line of life, In all of these decisions that we have to make, the bottom line is, am I going to obey God or am I going to disobey God? Obey or disobey? Real plain. Real simple. Then how do we mess it up so much? Because Satan is a deceiver. Satan is a deceiver. Well, let's notice the effects. You know, we said the other night concerning Jacob and Esau that after every decision, there's an afterward. Let's look at their afterward. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. You know, I don't know what it was like back then for them. But can you imagine living in a perfect paradise with a God who loves you and cares for you, that the first sound of God's presence would fill your heart with excitement and you would run to be in God's presence like a little child running to its mom or dad. After mom and dad have been gone for a while and they walk through the door and that little child looks up with excitement and then just runs and jumps in their parents' arms. That's the way I see Adam and Eve. They would just run and jump in the arms of God. Because they were so excited to see their father. After Satan deceived them. When God comes walking in the cool of the day, what did they do? They hid themselves. You know, I've read that verse over and over all my life, but it's just in here till here recently that I just really understand the sadness in that verse where once there was excitement and communion and joy and goodness in the presence of God because of Satan's deception, they now went and hid themselves among the trees. They were hiding from God now. How could something so good go so wrong? Because Satan deceived them. And notice the questions that God asked. Adam! Adam! Where are you? 
Where are you? God knew where they were. God knew where they were. What He wanted to do was to let them hear His voice and let them understand where they were. And probably more importantly, where they weren't. They weren't in His presence. They weren't in the arms of a loving Father, basking in the joy and the gladness of a gracious relationship with an Almighty God. Now they're in the bushes, wearing wardrobes of leaves, hoping that God won't find them. How could something so good go so wrong? Satan's deception. He said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Notice how he puts it. I heard your voice and I was afraid. He didn't say, I heard your voice and and, and we disobeyed, so that's why we went and, and hid. No, we were afraid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? I want us to look at those two questions because they're two very important questions that I need to ask myself and you need to be asking yourself. And those two questions are, where am I and what have I done? Where am I and what have I done? There's a lot of grown-ups today living there afterwards And they're looking back and they're wondering, how could something have been so good and yet here I am today? Satan's deception. And it all began, it all began with a question. Has God said? You see, whenever we start taking for granted our relationship with God, Whenever we start allowing our love to grow cold and allowing our faith to wane, what we've looked at tonight is the same thing that can happen in your life and happen in my life. That's the fear that the Apostle Paul had for the Corinthians. I fear lest you be beguiled as Eve was. And the question that we want to put before all of us this evening, as we live in this present world, where are you tonight? I know you're sitting in a church pew, but you may be sitting in a church pew, but still hiding in the bushes. You may be sitting in a church pew, but still hiding in the bushes, sitting there with shame, knowing, you know what, Satan has duped me. Satan has robbed me. And here I am tonight and I look around and people that I love aren't with me anymore. The good things and the good blessings that God's given me in my life, I don't have those anymore. If that's all been taken away, it's because somewhere along the way, you or I have bought into a lie. We've been deceived. And then we need to ask ourselves, what have I done? What have I done to get there? What lie is it that I'm believing that's taking me to where I am? 
And the only way that you can understand that lie is by opening up the light of the truth and letting the light of the truth shine down to manifest that lie. Maybe by going and getting the counsel of other faithful brothers or sisters. Because that's the thing about deception. Whenever you're living in deception, you don't know that you're being deceived. You know, nobody walks around, I'm being deceived, I'm being deceived. It's not something that we realize until it was too late. Just imagine the gut feeling that Adam and Eve felt when they realized they were naked and in shame. Did they become as God? Were they liberated so that they didn't need God anymore and they could be their own God? Just imagine how they felt. So I hope as we look at this tonight, it can give us some insight into how Satan deceives. Number one, he deceives us by affecting our relationship with God may not be anything big. He may not convince us that God doesn't exist. He doesn't have to change our opinion about the existence of God. He'll just simply tweak our understanding of the nature of God. God doesn't want you to have any fun. God wants you to be miserable. And then we begin to think that. You know, that's right. This isn't fair. And so now we're ready. He can tell us a big lie, but now he's got our ear. Now he's got our ear. And then we're going to listen. And he's going to tell us the same old tired story that he's told everyone since this day. Do this. You'll be better. You won't need God. And you know what? Billions and billions and billions have bought into that lie. Billions are buying into that lie. And billions are going more are going to buy into it. We don't want to. We don't want to. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian... Where are you and what have you done? Well, one thing we can tell you is whenever you open up the Bible and shine the light of God's Word in your life, it'll tell you that you are lost. You are lost. Satan wants to try to convince you you're okay without Christ. Hey, look around this building. You're just as good as these old church people. And so what he tries to do is to deceive you into a false sense of security by having you look horizontally rather than looking vertically where the true God lives, where the God that you're accountable to resides. That God's perfect, and you're not. That God is your judge. We're not. And so that God in heaven, He loves you and He cares for you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to this earth to die on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem, to shed His blood so that you can have remission of sins and a relationship with God. That's the truth. Now, Satan's going to work on your mind and he's going to try to convince you of all other things to keep you from accepting that truth. And if you want to live in that deception, then we pray that God will open your eyes. If you're here tonight and you are a Christian, and maybe you think you've been deceived by Satan, maybe you're walking in sin, maybe you're bound by some stronghold in your life that you can't break out of because you've been believing a lie and Satan has convinced you. Maybe it's broken relationships. Maybe it's immorality. Whatever it may be, it's there because you're believing a lie. Number one, you need forgiveness. And then number two, you need the truth to break out of that. And this congregation wants to help you in both regards. So we'd ask you to come as we stand and sing.